It's March Mania at Sports Interaction, NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, and so much more. We got crazy odds and the best live in play. Download the app right now in Ontario. Use the QR code at the bottom right of the screen or head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? We are back. Welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. How are you, Adam? I'm good, Alan. It's been a couple of weeks. Trade. I think the last time we talked was Stevie Y, and that was pre-trade deadline. So it's been uh, it, it's it's gone by in a flash. And I'm sure for you, kind of a relief for it all to be over? Question mark. Um. Yeah. It's part of the ebb and flow of the season. Um. At least we know there aren't going to be any impactful trades uh, for the rest of the year. And everybody's kind of gearing up for playoffs right now. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of looking at the NHL standings in the morning and seeing mm-hmm. who's where, um, who's on top of who, who's in, in the playoffs, out of the playoffs. Um, there's some teams right now that are playing for their lives. And that makes for um, you know pretty intense games that are... Um, more consequential than earlier in the season. So in that respect, all good. And uh, I understand that you are no longer an empty nester, at least for a couple of weeks. Well, uh, here's the deal. My son is back from university in Washington, D.C. on uh, spring break. So he's home with us this week. And uh, he goes back on a Saturday and then a couple of days later, our daughter, who is up at Berkeley, comes home on her spring break. And uh, my daughter and I are planning a flight from L.A. to Washington, D.C. on her break so that I can take her and my son to Springsteen and the <laughs> East Street Band in Washington, D.C. because they both want to go to the show. And uh, that is a... You know, my son's already there. She gets to see my son or her brother who she didn't see. She won't see over his spring break. So it kind of brings everybody together and we all get to go to the show together. Well, and and I'm sure being your kids, they've seen Bruce a few times. Oh, yeah. Each of them (laughs) is probably up around, I'd say, seven, eight times uh, so far, uh, which is not bad. Not bad. It's an impressive number. Yeah, it's it, well. I mean, impressive, and then compare it to you, who I think it's over a hundred, isn't it? Yeah, up around uh, around one forty. It's amazing. Around one forty. And DC is such a great, like, great place to visit. I I don't know what it's like to live there, but I love going to Washington DC. Yeah, it's it's a great city. My son loves. He's studying political science, and that's the city for it. And, uh, and he's really excited to see uh, uh, Bruce again. Uh, when he was around 12, 13 years old, he had really long hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took him uh, to a, a fundraiser that was hosted by Conan O'Brien and Steven Spielberg. Um, and uh, the musical guest was Bruce Springsteen. Oh, and, wow. and after Bruce's performance... I went over to the side of the stage where Bruce was and uh, introduced my son to Bruce. And I said, you know, Bruce, this is uh, 
my son, Ethan. And uh, Bruce looks at uh, my son smiling and goes, how you doing, Ethan? And he leans over and he shakes his hand and then he says, I love your flow. Because if you've ever seen a picture of Bruce from the time he was 18, 19 years old, he had hair like he had a flow. That's right. Right. So um, you can see that Bruce kind of appreciated that. Yeah. You know, if you can pull it off, it looks it's it's good. And your son's got some good hair. Yes, he, he cut he cut it off. Oh, he did. Know. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't have it coming down to here anymore. Um, <laughs> but he's it's certainly it's certainly thick, um, uh. and he didn't get it from his old man. <laughs> so so there was some uh, something pretty cool happened at a Montreal game last week, and and uh, Jesse and I were just dying to ask you about this. A fan showed up, the ultimate Jonathan Drouin fan from. Out east, back when he played in the with the Mooseheads, can you explain this story from the beginning for anybody that might have missed it on Twitter? Because midway through the story, you end up saying, "Hey, if you know this guy, please DM me," and you ended up getting in touch with him. So, can you start it from the start? Yeah, there's this um, uh, group called Habs uh, Fan Twitter, and they do um, interviews with people. They put on Twitter and. Somebody forwarded me this interview of this gentleman who's holding a really beautiful looking Drew Ann jersey from the Halifax Mooseheads. And he's asked, um, hey, that's a really beautiful jersey. Like, what, what is that? And, and he explained that it was um, a game used Jonathan Drew Ann jersey that his mother bought for him for Christmas and she passed away and it was the last thing she ever gave him. And he resides in Halifax. He came to Montreal to go to a few games. He's a big Canadians fan, but even bigger Jonathan drew fan. And he said it was his dream to get that Jersey that Jonathan wore on his back playing junior in the year that he was CHL player of the year uh, to get that jersey signed by Jonathan. So I see this video, and uh, I was I I was moved by the sincerity. Uh, this person talking about how much the jersey meant to him, and what a big Jonathan Drouin fan he was and always has been. He's a season ticket holder, uh, Mooseheads games for many, many years and people in the community all know him and, and revere him. So uh, I, I put out on Twitter, does anybody know who this gentleman is? Please DM me. And I got a message saying this gentleman's name is Kevin and here's his cell phone number. Oh, wow. So I called it and, and, and he answered and I said, is this Kevin? Yes. Um, I'm Jonathan's agent and, uh, where are you right now? And he said, well, I'm still in Montreal. And uh, I said, are, are you going to the game today with Colorado? He said, yes, I am. I said, great. Um, I'm going to do what I can to see that you get brought down after the game where you can meet Jonathan and he can sign that Jersey for you. So it took a, a, a few phone calls and arranging because the Canadians were leaving pretty quickly after the game 
to Pittsburgh where they played last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the game, um, Chantal with the Canadians graciously arranged to have Kevin brought down uh, to an area where the players were walking by on their way to the bus. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I had spoken to him, was happy to meet Kevin, take pictures, sign his jersey, visit with him for five or six minutes, talking about how he got the jersey and uh, and the meaning of the jersey, given that it was the last gift that his mother ever gave him before she passed, and all around uh, a feel-good story for everybody. That is very cool. Very, very cool. That must have been – that's going to be one of those things that he, he never forgets. Was he – what was he like on the phone when you called him? Like just cold called him like that. Um, surprised and 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 elated at the <laughs> at the same time. But you know, it, you you never know how a game goes, whether somebody gets hurt, mm-hmm. and you hate to make a promise that ultimately gets somebody's hopes up that ultimately doesn't happen. And you know, I'm in LA where I have a lot less control over a situation. So I had spoken to Chantal. Um, I had talked with Kevin. Uh, I believe the arrangements were all made. And then you kind of hold your breath and hope that everything works out. Kevin goes to the right area. The people know to bring him down and uh, and everything works out well. And in this situation, it, it's worked out great. There have been a, a number of situations over the years quietly where um, people have reached out and um, uh, players have uh, sent personal videos back to uh, fans uh, for different reasons, for different situations. Uh, Some fans have come down and had a chance to meet players. Um, There was uh, a situation uh, a number of years ago in Montreal where a um, a teacher in Montreal had reached out to me and said that there was another teacher who was this incredible Yaroslav Halak fan, just incredible. And unfortunately she had terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she wished for was a chance to meet Yarrow um, before she passed. Hmm. And uh, Yarrow was no longer playing for the Canadians, but they were coming into Montreal. And she, this, this woman had reached out to me and said, it's my coworker who's sick. And everyone at the school was saying, you know, how can we arrange for for this person to meet her hero uh, and and how much it would mean to her. And uh, I reached out to Yarrow and we talked about it. And he's like, absolutely. He actually didn't speak to the media after the game. And there was a lot of media uh, waiting for him. It was his return to Montreal after being traded to St. Louis. And uh, we arranged for her to come down. She was in a wheelchair. And, and there was a private area that we set up where uh, just her and her immediate family in Yarrow visited for 15 minutes. There was tears, photos. I mean, I get chills now just thinking about it. 
And uh, when you're able to do a good deed, just do something nice. Um, and, and, and Yarrow, you know, was really impacted by it, by, by how much of a fan she was and how much it meant to her just to meet him. You know, when, when you can do something like that, you know, I, over, over the, the many years that I've been in the business, I always try to do that. Well, and I think you can remember what it's like to be a fan. And I think you know what it's like to be a fan in terms of like, um, I look at, uh, we always talk about your Ken Dryden story where, you know, you got to meet Ken Dryden when you were a little boy and your dad took that picture and you can't see Ken's face in it. It's all cut off and you're. You're just holding on to Ken's leg. Off the head. Yeah, off the head. Sorry, a part of the head. And you know, and and I look at you know the way that you love uh, and and uh, pay homage to Bruce Springsteen and the the way that his music and that band has affected your life. I think that you understand from a you know fan is short for fanatic. You understand from that perspective how much that's going to mean to somebody, right? And I think that that's kind of cool because I think and and Alan, I'm sure you've seen this when you get into the industry being on the media side or you get in on the uh the the player organization side whatever you want to call it um the actual nhl itself you can lose that a little bit you can lose a little bit of the magic when you find out how things are done and i mean you you know alan for instance you wouldn't call yourself a montreal canadians fan today probably right um but you were you grew up a fanatic for the montreal canadians so you remember that feeling and so I, i just thought Man, what a cool story and great to see, you know, Jonathan and, and it was just uh, very, very neat. I'm glad you guys were able to put that together. And I love that you have time in your day to call to call somebody and say, hey, you want to go meet Jonathan after the game maybe? Um, so it was it was cool. Now, uh, one of the things that, that, that we've sort of been talking about over text, and this is making huge news uh, in the NHL today, but not just the NHL. The MLB and NBA are, are hugely impacted. Um, so, uh, Bally sports, which is owned by, um, I guess a couple rungs up St. Clair broadcasting, um, and diamond star, I think it's the diamond star group, um, uh, diamond sports media, diamond sports media. Um, so diamond sports media missed an interest payment of $140 million. Now, uh, that's a heck of a loan. If the interest payment is $140 million, they had a 30 day grace period, uh, to figure out, um, uh, to, well, to pay it, and now they're going to file for Chapter 11. They've already filed for Chapter 11 bank, bankruptcy. The idea being that they're going to file this and restructure their debt, and it's all sort of corporate this and that. But for the average person who watches Bally, and there are 12, 12 NHL markets that are involved in this, um, I think the biggest question is, are the games still even going to happen on my local channel? And the answer is yes. Yeah, let's um, let's give everybody a, an overview of the issue because there's lots of talk about it, and a lot of people that I've connected with have, have asked, "Can you explain how this happened and what this issue is really all about?" Mm-hmm. So it, it it really is the essence of where things are going technologically going into the future, and that is fans. And, and the audience, particularly sports fans, cutting the cord and using streaming as their main vehicle in, um, in delivery of watching and consuming content, games. 
and um, the structure of where we are today started with Sinclair Broadcasting buying up a lot of the regional sports networks, which Disney was forced to um, to sell uh, in a, a bigger purchase that Disney was involved in. So these regional sports networks were on the block and Sinclair went and bought a whole, you know, basically all of them and put them under the umbrella of Diamond Sports Media and then rebranded these networks, Bally Sports. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's Bally Sports to Diamond, wholly owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. And uh, the way that uh, Sinclair financed all these acquisitions, and it's the classic tale of buying high and the value of what they purchased dropping precipitously as people started cutting the cord, less eyeballs on their product, people going to streaming. But let's first talk about what we're, what's at issue here, okay? ESPN owns the out-of-market broadcasts of NHL games. Mm -hmm. So if I live in LA and I want to watch Chicago versus New Jersey, I can go to ESPN Plus and watch the out-of-market game. But if, I if I'm in LA and I want to watch LA versus Chicago, that game is blacked out on ESPN Plus for anybody residing in LA oh, in Anaheim, which becomes an issue. And these blackout territories um, sometimes don't make any sense, and that's a completely separate issue. So if you want to watch LA versus Chicago, you've got to go to Bally Sports West, which um, is on a cable network or direct TV, mm -hmm. and you've got to watch it there. And that is the in-market game available to people living in Los Angeles. We now have a situation where Diamond has declared bankruptcy, and they actually filed for bankruptcy yesterday. Mm -hmm. Okay? And as part of their bankruptcy, they are seeking to restructure their debt and restructure, meaning wipe it out. Hmm. And the debt is primarily to banks and bondholders. So they wrote all these bonds at a pretty high interest rate. People bought the bonds, they received the money, and they have to make interest payments on the bonds. Um, the de total debt is around $8 billion, with a B, and that debt is going to be wiped out. Okay. Wow. In this restructuring. Now, for the NHL, um, as you said, there are 12 markets whose um, regional broadcasts um, are uh, the rights to them are owned 
by the different valleys set up under Diamond. And that's Detroit, Dallas, LA, Arizona, Florida, Columbus, St. Louis, Anaheim, Minnesota, Tampa, Carolina, and Nashville. So pretty key markets. Pretty key markets. And uh, I've been told that the grand total of all the rights for these regional broadcasts on an annual basis equate to around 200 million in annual hockey related revenue. Okay, so we're talking about 200 million out of, you know, 5.4 to 5.6 billion of NHL HRR. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the good news for the NHL and the NHL teams is that most of the payments, if not all, have already been made for this year. Hmm. The question arises, what happens for next year? Because some of these deals are pretty rich. And teams, if they lost this revenue, would be taking a very serious hit. Now, Diamond is saying they don't plan on uh, terminating any of their hockey deals mm-hmm. with any of the individual clubs and as of now. And from their standpoint, it's business as usual. They will be broadcasting the games. The fans will still be able to watch the games. And they'll be making their contractually obligated payments to the clubs when they have to make them. Um, But these networks also, in addition to the NHL, bought up a bunch of the MLB team's local rights. And what they're seeking to do on the baseball side is keep going with the deals with teams that are making money mm-hmm. and terminate the deals on with the teams, baseball teams that are not making money. Uh, Manfred has taken the position that if Bally's and Diamond terminate one deal with one club, they're terminating all the deals and going to take all of the in in-house rights and they're going to broadcast them themselves on MLB TV. Wow. Which I think is what Manfred and MLB really wants to accomplish here. They want out of these deals. So I think they're hoping at least one of their baseball deals gets terminated so they can then terminate all the deals. Mm-hmm. But that would be an issue that would have to be litigated litigated inside the bankruptcy court proceedings. You know, um, Diamond is going in. They want to wipe out all the debt. They want to get rid of the bad deals and emerge a stronger, healthier company without being saddled with all the debt that they uh uh, created and assumed in buying all these companies, right? Okay. 
Which great deal if you can get it. Yeah, I don't, but I, it doesn't make sense that that could ever be the deal. Um, it it's very possible. Wow, it's very possible that that could be the end result for uh, Diamond. Um, wow. Again, there's a bankruptcy judge who's going to have to decide um, this issue uh, along with many other issues as we uh, as we go forward here. Now, I think I think for fans, obviously, it's it's relief that you know you're going to see the games and. You know, you mentioned a couple of markets there. I'm thinking like Tampa, St. Louis, Detroit, uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a very important market for for the NHL. Tampa, very important, possible Stanley Cup again uh, this year in Tampa. Um, would the NHL ever consider doing that, doing what the enemy, uh, MLB may want to do, which is bring it all in-house and eliminate regional broadcasts? Because you know, one of the things that people have brought up is if you have, and ESPN Plus is is not everybody's favorite app at the moment, but um, if you have a regional broadcaster carrying a game, why can't you still watch it on ESPN, but it's a Bally game, you know? And 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 so Bally still gets to make, you know, they get the, they get the, the ratings, they get the revenue from the um, they get the revenue from the, uh, uh, the advertisers that they sell to. I'm assuming it has something to do with cable subscription numbers, but at the end of the day, there, a lot of people still want to see how come, how come we can't solve this blackout issue? I just want to watch it where I want to watch it. Uh, or can the NHL bring it in house and start their own subscription service, which they've already done and been pretty successful at pretty early. Yeah. Um, I, I think the NHL, um, was there. Mm-hmm. And got out of that business, and they don't have the infrastructure right now to be able to take those games in house and broadcast them themselves. MLB has actually been hiring announcers and ramping up, oh. um, and it, it looks like they are planning at some point to take those games and bring them in house. And they have the infrastructure set up to be able to do that, uh, whereas the NHL doesn't. So I don't see that as a viable solution, nor would the NHL doing that be able to replace the revenue they would be losing from the deals that are already on the books. Right. Right. Wow. Now, uh, part of this has... You know, because again, we're taking it from the fans' perspective here. A lot of fans are going to ask about the salary cap, right? And they're going to say, you know, we've seen this salary cap. It's been flat for three years. We're sick and tired of it. I want big money spent in free agency. I want my team to go out and be aggressive. Listen, I'm a Leafs fan, personally. Uh, I really? always want them. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. I'm, I'm shocked. Well, Alan, when I was. We finally found, we finally learned Adam's. What, what, where he's at here as uh, as a as a team, guy that supports an NHL team, unbelievable! I am, Crazy. I, I am I'm sorry shocked. that I'm, I'm sorry that 18 months into our friendship, that this is the first time it's been revealed to you. But I felt like it was time to open up. Um, but but I wanted it. I think you know when 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 I was growing up, the Leafs payroll was about 82 to 85 million dollars. That was 20 years ago. Then the salary cap comes in. Now it's finally back at 81 and a half or 82 and a half, whatever it is this year. Um, you know, there was some talk at the beginning of the season about this salary cap. Oh, oh, hey, listen, we're ahead of schedule. We could be 
two to three million. Some people even got aggressive and said it could be four million. We know that they've got to pay back the NHL, but we're looking really good. Revenues are up. Um, will the NHL use this as a way to keep the salary cap the way it is? The uncertainty with Bally. Obviously, Bally's already made most of the payments, Alan. You said it. Uh, maybe they haven't made them all, but they're obviously going to continue to make the payments. Otherwise, they can't broadcast the games. So assuming that there's some uncertainty in the market, is this a spot for NHL head office to say, you know what, let's keep the cap the same, even though uh, the hockey-related rela- hockey, uh, revenues are higher this year? Well, under the CBA, the cap is scheduled to go up a million dollars. Mm-hmm. From eighty-two five to eighty-three point five million, um, the total amount of money that the players received over and above the fifty-fifty split from the pandemic years topped out at around one point one one point two billion. Mm. Okay. That money has been paid back to a large extent to the league and the escrow debt from 1.1-1.2 billion is projected to be paid down to around 100 to 150 million by the end of this season. Now, if the playoff revenue, and some other things out there are a little bit higher than projected, which is entirely possible, the actual escrow debt could be as low as 50 to 75 million. Wow. So from 1.2 billion to 50 to 75 million as a as a range here of the escrow debt, is that enough to keep all these teams that are capped out, is that enough to keep them from having an additional three or four million of cap space going into the offseason? Mm-hmm. That's the issue. Now, if you want to break it down even further, the NHL year turns over June 30th to July 1. Right, July 1 becomes the new season. Okay. But we don't drop the puck on the season until October. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about 50 to 75 million, even mm-hmm. 100 million, even 150 million, that money is at least theoretically paid back by puck drop on the season. Wow. Okay. So. The players obviously want the cap to go up three or four million. Mm-hmm. Lots of players have been pushed out of the league or pushed down to the NHL minimum because teams have many teams have no cap space. The teams, especially the ones that are retooling, you know, rebuilding is a dirty word now, retooling, resetting, the teams that are doing that need and they want that additional cap space available. Really good teams that have uh, players on expiring contracts that they need to resign or 
really good teams that want to go into the free agent market and participate. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been able to for the last couple of years because they've had no cap space. Everybody wants the cap to go up. Um, it's projected to go up around 12, 13 million over the next three years. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense to raise the cap 1 million next year and then have two big years of the cap going up five, know, six five million. million plus each year. Yeah. Why do that? It's mm-hmm. nonsensical. But Gary Bettman, being Gary Bettman, sits back and says, huh, if the players want this, and he really gets pissed off when anybody brings up the fact that his own teams want it, his own clubs want it. They do. Don't yeah. say that. You know, but if the players want it, well, they're going to have to give something back to us in a trade-off if we're going to give them something that they want, which is part of what's so wrong about the relationship between the league and the PA. The attitude from the league is always, if you want something, you're going to have to give up something and not just do what's in everybody's best interests and makes the most sense for the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know what Gary wants. I don't know what he has up his sleeve. Uh, he just said today, um, uh, I'm open to discussing a rise of the cap beyond the $1 million, but we have to see what incoming executive director, Marty Walsh, no relation is uh, (laughs) thinking. And there needs to be that discussion. That's Gary speak, Gary euphemism for, I got to see if they're willing to give me something in exchange for doing this. And that's what we're waiting for. In the meantime, many, if not most NHL teams and NHL players and the fans Mm -hmm. are all being held hostage by Gary. Mm -hmm. I want to throw something at you. About half of the NHL teams right now are spending over the cap. Now there's LTIR and all the other ways that you can get around it. But in real dollars, and I'm just doing a quick search of cap friendly, uh, half the NHL teams are over the cap. There are already four teams spending over 90 million. Two of those teams are over 95 million. That's Vegas and Montreal. And there are only seven teams spending under $80 million. Only seven. So, you know, it's interesting you say the owners, you know, the owners will never want to say that they want this. I would think that the owners in markets where they got money to spend and they got a shot at the cup, they're probably chomping at the bit. And Gary's probably going like, hold on, guys, don't say anything, don't do anything. Um, what how do you how do you see this if you were gonna if you were gonna guess and you have no knowledge of the situation as it stands currently, how do you think this plays out? Um I I think ultimately, uh, and I'm it is a projection, it's a guess. Of course that uh, ultimately we're going to have an additional three to $4 million 
of of cap space available. Uh, I the, the deal may not get done until the draft mm-hmm. until just before July one. Um, we'll have a real good idea preliminarily where final HRR for the year is going to come in at how much of the escrow debt is actually paid off. And I think that's information that um, Gary is going to want to know and that the players should know as well before embarking into a final negotiation on what that cap number would be. But remember, one of Gary's big justifications for the salary cap in general is parity. Mm-hmm. You know, the cap brings parity. You know, there's a floor, there's a ceiling. Teams have to spend all within this amount. And this means that every single team has the theoretical ability to win the cup every year. Everyone's in it. There's no dominant teams that could come in and win the cup five, six, seven years in a row. Uh, and, And when you actually break it down the variance when you factor in LTIR mm-hmm. into what teams actual payrolls are their actual payrolls are bumping up against a hundred million dollars versus the have-nots which are using players on LTI that they're acquiring as a means to reach the floor Right. And their actual payroll is well below the floor. Right. Right. It's all a facade. It's all smoke and mirrors. What parody really is, what the real definition of parody is, and oh, fans get so mad, some of them, when they hear this because they've bought this, they've drank the Kool-Aid. What parody really is, is a legalized means for teams and and the league to pay players less than they would otherwise be happy to pay without a cap. Right. That's all market value keeps you from paying market value. That is the definition of parity. Go look it up. <laughs> Mutually assured uh, misery, I think uh sometimes it's been referred to as. Um I think uh, you know, it's 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 interesting, Alan. You know, the, the other thing that's kind of created this year, this cap has created, is you have seen some some of the big teams gearing up, but you've seen some of the major markets gear down. Uh, some of the worst teams in the league are intentionally trying to get worse, although obviously nobody's going to admit to that because of Connor Bedard and the amazing top three draft class that we're facing this year. And, you know, despite the fact that the NHL will, you know, publicly deny that it ever happens, the I can't remember a time growing up where I ever heard of a team actively tanking. And I can tell you that 2015 Leafs, I was actively cheering for them to tank so they could get Austin Matthews. And, you know, and, and I can't blame Anaheim fans and Chicago fans and Columbus fans and, you know, every, every, any other team that's going to be in that top 12 that has a shot at him. Um, in the in the lottery for being excited about getting that player. But if we're talking about parity, then every team in a truly, you know, uh, competitive league should be competing. 
right? They should be competing to try to win now. And the NHL has not achieved that. Well, Gary says there's no tanking. Tanking doesn't exist in the NHL. So let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I am the first one out here to tell you there has never been a player, and I'm using never, who has ever gone out to play a game hoping to lose. Right. Right? All of the players, let's all understand what tanking really is. All of the players prepare for a game, go out and play the game. They go out and put, you know, themselves out on the line. They'll stick their face in front of a 95 per mile an hour slap shot. They want to win. Every head coach, coaching staff, they're intensely competitive. They want to win. So the coaches and the players are all on the same page. There is no doubt and there is no allegation that any of them are doing anything less than giving 100% effort to win every game they play. Let's get that out there, mm -hmm. okay? But when you take a player like a Jacob Chikrin and you sit him out for eight games for trade-related reasons. It's a tenth right? of the season. And you see lots of other teams that started then sitting players out for trade-related reasons. Are you not putting uh, a team on the ice that is not your best team? Okay. For teams that uh, at the deadline are trading some really good players on expiring contracts – are you not shedding some of your best players for draft picks? And are you not making a statement to your fans and to the, to everybody that you're now going to be less competitive after the deadline than you were before the deadline? And isn't that a form of tanking? So uh, what about the teams that are going into the last off season, right? Mm -hmm. That are letting really good players go, right? Into free agency or making trades, establish, establish players for prospects and picks, right? Futures. They call it futures. Yep. Yep. You're making a trade for futures. Aren't you putting a weaker team on the ice now with the intention not the players, not the coaches, but the overall philosophy of the organization management of not making the playoffs, getting, I mean, I've had many GMs over the years say to me, you know, Alan, if I had a choice between missing the playoffs by two or four points and finishing dead last, it's a no brainer. I want to finish dead last. Right. Right. They want, they want, there is in almost every year, either generational talent at the top of the draft that mm -hmm. teams want, or at the very least, better players in their estimation available at one, two, three, four, than at 10, 11, 
12th, right? Yeah. And that's and markedly part, better. And that's right? part of the retooling, uh, resetting of an organization. And that is tanking. And that goes on every single year in Gary's NHL, despite all his denials to the contrary. So uh, with that all said, um, one team that has struggled this year, they've had uh, they've had struggles for a couple of years, actually. It's been a while since they even qualified for the playoffs. Don't look like their brand of hockey um, is, the, is the Flyers. And I don't want to ask you about the Flyers specifically, but they did make a change at general manager last week, as happens in the NHL. I'm sure... I mean, I don't. I wonder if we could estimate in the thirty years you've been an agent, how many coaches and general managers have been fired and hired, and how many changes you've had to go through. But one thing that crossed my mind when when that happened was, what's what does the agent have to do when you got a you've got a player on a team and the general manager who signed them or traded for them or drafted them is no longer there, and and do, do you reach out and say congratulations? Do you have a conversation? What is the agent's job when a general manager or a coach change is made? I do a couple of things. Uh, almost always I'll reach out to a general manager um, or a uh, head coach who's, who's been let go and, and just send them a notice support and say, hey, I'm really sorry to hear the news. Um, I've always had great respect for you. Um, give it some time. And um, let's connect when you'd like to talk. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a human element to people who, you know, GMs have families. They live in a city. Uh, when things are not going well, they're usually taking on um, a huge amount of criticism. It's not a fun place to be. Uh, fans in the stands chanting uh, your name that you should be fired. Um, all kinds of, um, you know, that kind of stuff going on. So from a human standpoint, um, I, I'm very sensitive to that. Uh, we all work together. We all work together in this, you know, big bubble. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to, you know, what they're personally going through and, and reaching out and saying, hey. Um, on the other side, uh, there's always somebody who is, taking over on a interim basis or a permanent basis, whatever the situation is. Mm -hmm. And you want to connect with them um, more. Uh, uh, it's more timely to connect if you have players on that team mm -hmm. where you can um, at least make an initial uh, connection and talk about, you know, where the player is in relation to the organization, where his contract is, in relation to expiring. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to hear somebody coming in saying, hey, just want to let you know that I see, you know, your player as a key guy for us going forward. He's part of our core and uh, nothing is changing. Or he may have been on the outside previously, but now uh, I see him on the inside uh, and he's going to be a, a key guy for us going forward. Or even, you know what, um, I'm not a fan of of your guy right now. And um, Are no, people that honest? 
Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's All right. let's let's talk, you know, as we get closer to the end of the season on uh ways that uh we can make uh him happy, you happy and uh and make me happy. Wow. And when 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 you have that type of a conversation with a GM cuz that's got to be I mean tough conversations I guess with the business. But how do you manage that with the player? Like a general manager says, "Eh, you're kind of on the outs with us. We're looking to move on." Uh new general manager whatever. What do you what do you relay to your client? Well, here here's the deal. I I hear a lot in the and it might be the way that people speak. Mm-hmm. But I hear a lot um, hey, uh, let me share this with you, but uh, don't share this with your client. Okay. okay. I don't say anything. But the moment I get off the phone, I either immediately text my client what was said, mm-hmm. or I call my client and tell him. Because one of the very foundational rules that I have, and I may be letting a little bit of the cat out of the bag here if anybody on the other side is listening, Um is that I never keep a secret from a client ever. I don't work for the GM. I don't work for the club. I work for the player and I don't keep secrets. So um, I will call the player and that's uh, a time when you as an agent need to be brutally honest with your client and say, you may not be up for hearing this, but this is what was said in the conversation. Wow! By your by your GM. And, and why don't and you? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. You 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 just I believe you have a fiduciary obligation to always act in the best interests of the people you represent. Mm-hmm. And and whether it's good news or bad news or no news or something where. Uh, a GM is thinking or anybody on the other side, and it could be an owner, mm-hmm. you know, let me, let me share this with you, but don't tell your player. Uh-uh. That is, that is a way that if you did keep that secret, you would be separating yourself from your client and actually in some way compromising your, I see it, as compromising your fiduciary obligations. Wow. That's got to be tough though. That's got to be a conversation you don't look you don't look forward to. Do you get used to um do you get used to making those phone calls or are they always kind of tough? You you never get used to it. It's not something you enjoy, mm-hmm. but it's something you have to do. Fair enough. Now, when uh the other side of it is obviously when a change happens at a team, head coach, maybe the player loves the head coach. Maybe the player doesn't love the head coach and the change happens. Or uh, maybe the player loves the GM, doesn't love the GM. The GM signed them, the GM drafted them, whatever. And that change happens. And the player reaches out to you. Uh, hey, Alan, this just happened. Um, the coach was let go. The GM's let go. New guys in. What do you normally say to them? You know, maybe you haven't had the conversation of, about the person who's made the change or with the person that's made the change, what's your initial discussion with your client to either ease nerves or I, I, how do you handle that? I, I think that's where communication is very important. Uh, I always encourage direct conversations between GMs and players. 
Okay. Uh, I think it's great for coaches and players to talk together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was in a situation recently where um, a GM was talking to me and, and wanting me to pass certain information on to the player. And, and, I, and I finally said, listen, why don't you just call the player in, sit down and talk directly? He's like, well, you know, I, I, I didn't want to step on your toes. I said, I step on my toes. I'm cur- encouraging it. You know, the players are big boys. They're adults. You know, they're mini CEOs of their own company. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with a player going in, sitting down and having that uh, discussion. So I think it's very important as an agent to maintain a strong level of communication with your player, especially when there's a trade that happens and your player is moved and all the things that are going on with the transition to a new city mm-hmm. logistically from winding down uh, an apartment, condo or home in in the former city, getting uh, personal articles uh, moved to the new city, shipping cars to the new city, mm-hmm. um, get you know the player getting situated. Logistically, there's a lot of heavy lifting that takes place, but also figuring out, hey, this is a new situation. You know, where are we going here mm-hmm. from a career perspective? And I think that brings on uh, a lot of anxiety and there's a element of unknown that needs to be attacked very early on when something like that happens and, and, and honestly, truthfully, let the player understand exactly where, where he fits in according to what they're saying at the time of the move. Wow. There's a lot of moving pieces. So when, when a change like that happens, there's a lot that has to happen. I mean, I'm assuming new GMs are on the phone probably all day, every day for the first little bit, just getting acquainted with everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's kind of, you know, it's um, <laughs> because we all grew up playing video games, at least my generation. Uh, when you make a trade, just make the trade. Like it's done. Well, that, this player fits better than that player. They're, Percentage is higher. Uh, their overall is better. It's amazing to hear kind of all the other backroom stuff. And obviously, there's families involved as well. Um, so there's probably a little bit of that. And, and Alan, when um, uh, uh, I, I wonder about um, the league it, itself, do other general managers call a new general manager and say, hey, congratulations on the job? Like, do they reach out and say, hey, congrats? And I can ever help or if you want to do a deal or, or is that something that, that, you know, you just call them when you need them? Um, for sure. They call and say hi and, you know, welcome, welcome to the club. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the GM club. Um, I was, I was one time sitting with the GM having lunch mm-hmm. and his phone rang and he looked at it and said, um, Hey, let me take this. And he's like, hello, how are you? Uh, hey, I'm just, uh, thanks for calling back. Welcome uh, to the GM family. Look forward to doing business with you. I promise not to try to fleece you too bad. If you want to do your first trade with me, I'm all open. You know, give me a call in a couple hours. I'll be back in the office. And they had a nice little 
conversation while I was uh, sitting there picking up my salad. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that goes on. Okay. All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting time. And I think obviously now, uh, heading into the, the playoffs as a, as an agent, you know, uh, before we kind of wrap up the show here, what, what are the things after the trade deadline that, you know, your clients are most concerned about on the whole? Is it, you know, get, whether they're gearing up for the playoffs or gearing up for the end of the season, what, what kinds of conversations are you having right now? Well, um, a lot of conversations about just that, gearing up for playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversations with guys on expiring contracts, mm-hmm. you're starting to um, look at the marketplace. Um, you're having conversations with teams, mm-hmm. um, trying to get a sense of whether there's um, an interest in um, extending or you know, sometimes a team will say, you telling you right now, there won't be any impetus from us to sign your guy. So plan on being a free agent in the summer, um, which is fine. But mm-hmm. it, it's knowing what the status is and then putting together a game plan. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of those kinds of talks going on right now. Okay. All right. Well, it's an exciting time of year. Uh, kind of the, the, the calm before the storm. Are you looking forward to the playoffs? Oh yeah. It's the best time of year. <laughs> is there a round of the playoffs that you're most like, that is your favorite? I know you get to go to all of them. So is there one that you're like, man is, you know, is it the first round because it's kind of like a car crash? Is it the, you know, the Eastern conference final? Cause everybody's just fighting tooth and nail just to get into a Stanley cup game. What is it? I just like playoff hockey. It's so much, it is unfortunately so much more intense Mm. than what you see during the regular season, especially if the matchups, you know, are traditional rivals, divisional rivals um, that adds a, uh, another element. Um, The games themselves are the kind of games that can bring you out of your seat. Yes. And, uh, and have you, uh, uh, have you yelling at the TV screen? (laughs) <laughs> so it's uh it's the kind of uh kind of hockey that I love and uh look forward to it uh every year. And it seems like a GM might be calling you right now. <laughs> um Alan, uh, listen, thank you so much for the show. It was really insightful. And um, I, I'm kind of excited to kind of see where the show goes, especially going into uh, the playoffs. I know we're going to have some interviews and stuff, but sometimes one-on-one, this is pretty fun. Absolutely. We just need some Springsteen music, uh, you know, in, in, in the setting here to, to put us, uh, uh, at least put me in the mood. I agree. But, you know, a strange thing about his rights, they're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> not surprised. Alan, thanks so much. You got it. Great to see you. And until uh, next time. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN.